0: What is a top real estate attorney telling every realtor he knows what to do this year to stay productive? Well, we're going to talk about that today. Stay tuned. This episode of Keeping It Real is brought to you by Real Geeks. How many homes are you going to sell this year? Do you have the right tools? Is your website turning soft leads into interested buyers? Are you spending money on leads that aren't converting? Well, Real Geeks is your solution. Find out why agents across the country choose Real Geeks as their technology partner. Real Geeks was created by an agent for agents. They pride themselves on delivering a sales and marketing solution so that you can easily generate more business. Their agent websites are fast and built for lead conversion version with a smooth search experience for your visitors. And now, on to our show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Keeping It Real, the largest podcast made by real estate agents and for real estate agents. My name is DJ Paris. I am your guide and host through the show. and In just a moment, we're going to be speaking with top real estate attorney, Donald Kielbasa. But before we get to Don, uh, just a couple of quick reminders. Number one, please support our sponsors. We love our sponsors. They're the reason we can keep doing the show and we appreciate if you check out their products and services and consider supporting them because they support us. But even if you aren't able to support our sponsors, and we hope that you do, please tell a friend about the show. That's the other way that you can help us get in front of more realtors is tell someone else in your office about this podcast. We All we focus on is helping you by talking to top producers who say, this is exactly what I'm doing right now to grow my business, and let someone else in your office, somebody who's struggling, and all a lot of us are struggling right now, right? It's a tough time in the market, so please share the love. Let other people know about this podcast. We appreciate it. But enough about that. Let's get to the main event, my conversation with attorney Donald Kielbasa. All right, today on the show, we have best-selling author, champion athlete, and real estate attorney. Donald Hyun Let me tell you more about Donald. Now, Donald is an Illinois licensed attorney and CPA with a focus in real estate law and estate planning. Now, over the past 14 years as an attorney, Donald has managed over 8,000 commercial and residential real estate transactions. Prior to becoming an attorney, Donald worked as a CPA with big four accounting firm, KPMG, um, and he's also the author of two books: Discover Your Dragon and Tao of the Side Hustle, which is his newest book. When he's not practicing law, Donald is a was a gold medalist for the 2008 United States wushu team. Wushu translates to Chinese martial arts. Now, after winning gold, he caught the attention of Warner Brothers Games and is the martial arts motion capture model in some of the biggest action video games in history, including Mortal Kombat, where he was. Scorpion and and Sub Zero, and also the game Injustice, where he played Batman and Flash. So please, everyone, go pick up Donald's newest bestseller, The Tau of the Side Hustle, which is on Amazon. We have a link to that in our show notes. And if you're uh, a realtor here in the Chicagoland area, Donald would love to talk to you and work with your clients. You can visit his real estate website at Chicago real estate, a T T Y. So, uh, Chicago real estate, dot com. Donald, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: Super excited to have you. I, am um, and I, I I'm very excited over the break to read Tao of the Side Hustle. And actually, before we get into any of your story, I normally start with your story. But just because this book is so new and it's just crushing it in the Amazon charts, uh, you know, and so that our audience doesn't have to wait 20 minutes for us to finally get talk about the book, tell us what the, tell us what the book is, who it's for, and uh, and why you wrote it. So ultimately, if you look at um... If you look at
1: America from a macro perspective, people hold wealth in three places. They hold their wealth in uh, real estate, retirement plans, and small businesses. So the biggest part problem with people when they're starting small businesses is that first step. So I wanted to create kind of a, a modern day art of war where we walk, we guide the reader through a side hustle, you know, towel the side hustle. We go from side hustle to stabilize, to scale. Right. And, um, it's basically a blend of Buddhism, martial arts, and business to help the reader, uh, you know, start dipping their toe in entrepreneurship.
0: Yeah. I love it. Um, who's best suited to, for this book to make an impact on who's who needs to read this?
1: Um, you know, that's a good question. Like, you know, whenever you're creating a product for distribution, like you're only supposed to have an intended target audience. Right. Um, Historically, I would tell you people who have that entrepreneurial itch, right? That would be the historical answer. Um, today, I, I think that definition has broadened significantly. Um, if you go all the way back to Adam Smith, of Nations, I'm a big Adam Smith guy, right? Sure. There's, you know, there's three ways to make money. There is salary, you have a job. There is profit, you have a business, And then there is rent, you have an appreciable property that you're able to, you know, collect passive income in some way, shape, or form. So so it's like one, two, three, right? Now, historically, I would tell you like, oh, those who with an entrepreneurial age, right? Unfortunately, you know, necessity is the mother of all innovation, right? And I have a feeling with, given the economic climate that we're about to face, right? I think a lot of people are going to kind of be pushed into entrepreneurial uh, positions, not out of desire, but but out of necessity.
0: Yeah, that makes, it makes a lot of sense. And I guess one fortunate part of that, the sort of nature of the economy right now is technology has sort of enabled this global gig economy. And it's really, it brought in this or expanded the ability of the average person to get Involved and produce some of these side hustle services mm-hmm. or products uh at a very minimal investment in a lot of cases. Um, you know, with the technology and infrastructure already built that does a lot of the heavy lifting. Um, so it is kind of an exciting time to consider a side hustle uh, because we just have a lot more resources now that that help make it a little bit easier.
1: Yeah, the barrier of entry to side hustles have have definitely changed. Like if you think about it everybody has like a university of Google degree. Like you can look up everything. There's two forms of knowledge. There's knowledge of, and there's knowledge how. Knowledge of is where you go into Google and you learn of something, right? Knowledge how is where you put in your 10,000 hours and kind of yeah. become a cluster of something, right? Now, <clears throat> from uh, an entrepreneurial perspective, like being able to break into new areas and create new solutions for problems on like a micro local area is I don't think there's ever been a better time to do so.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. And with, especially with so many small businesses constantly being hit up for various services that maybe somebody with a side hustle can do more inexpensively um, can provide a real value uh locally as opposed to also doing it globally through places like Fiverr and these sort of gig services uh you know task rabbit for people that are you know good with fixing and building um you know it's funny i was i had a guy from TaskRabbit over who uh has a normal jo- a full-time job where he's like an engineer and and does something with construction but he's like a pretty decently high level guy in his salary and he came over to swap out a a door in our in our primary closet and um and it was a pretty difficult job and and I said hey I'm just curious like why do you do this on the side he goes He goes. If I just did this this gig stuff, I would actually make more than in my salary. But he's like, I just kind of like the stability of the of the thing. So he's like, I'm I'm just going to do this on the side. But I was like, man, this guy, you know, he's making uh, an extra three four thousand dollars a month just doing a couple of these gigs, uh, you know, here and there outside of his normal business hours.
1: Yeah, you know, that's ultimately the purpose of the side hustle. Like, not all businesses are meant to be scaled, right? Yeah. Um, So. i i I like to um i do like to invest in startups startups and side hustles they're not the same right a side hustle can become a startup but a side hustle is not uh does not have the scalability sometimes as a startup they're two different cultures two different communities right the startup community they're really looking to you know 10x 20x 50x and they they're looking for an exit or a liquidity event to to you know for the business right side hustle is something that like look man like things are getting more expensive like you know it's funny um talking about you you're in real estate uh you know the fed today the fed may may or may not raise the interest rate i don't know if they're if they've done it yet but right there there's two types of inflation there is um monetary inflation there's too big of a money supply and then there's supply side inflation like you're not going to be able to fix supply side inflation with increasing the interest rates so i i don't know if i necessarily agree with the way it's gone anyway but there those impacts are going to impact the way uh consumers deploy their capital right now and um i think there's going to be a huge liquidity event where all the money is sucked out of the system
0: that's interesting um yeah, it, it it is it is interesting. I was also thinking too about the recent uh, crypto exchanges, or at least the, the the biggest crypto exchange, which just went under FTX, which a lot of people have probably followed by the time this came out. Who knows if uh, Sam bakeman Fried will actually be in prison, in prison, or or, or who knows? But but I, and then there's other ex- crypto exchanges. Binance is is possibly facing liquidity issues, and that's now the biggest exchange. And I'm just curious if if those if that exchange. Fails too. I'm curious if a lot of that crypto money comes flooding back in and somehow gets, you know, reinvested by people in, in other ways. And a side hustle is a great way to invest money and actually, you know, make some income uh, that's a little bit more hopefully predictable. But before before we um get too far down that rabbit hole, because I could talk about that all day, um, I would love to first hear your origin story. Like, How did you get involved in real estate? You were an athlete, you're now an author as well. Um, You know, how did you get involved in law? You were an accountant, you're an accountant as well. You do a lot of different things. So we'd love to hear about your trajectory. Um, So walk us through that.
1: So um, I was like a Chicago public school dude, Uh, like Lane Tech, um, Lane Tech guy. Like I didn't have two nickels to rub together. So I kind of figured that um, whenever you go to war, like let's say you and I were gonna engage in combat. In the end, when you break down a war or combat, there's these five things that you need to control, right? You know, you gotta have a skill before you get into the other one. So let's start with skill. So I knew upfront, I had no money, was broke, didn't really have any connections or anything like that. So I had to become hyper-focused and dominant in a skill. So I started with accounting because that was like the language of business, right? Sure. So I graduated in 2001. And immediately the Enron collapse happened, wiping out Arthur Anderson. I couldn't get a job, sure.
0: right? I, so, I remember when that happened. Yes, absolutely. So um,
1: all the school guidance counselors, like after I spent all this money and got like my accounting degree and CPA and all that other stuff, they said, oh, you should go back to law, you know, go back to school, go to law school, right? So I went to law school, um, graduated in 2006, only to enter into the 2008 crash. Right right perfect timing <laughs> so basically it was it was kind of at that point where i lost all confidence in like the guidance counselors and the um a lot of the teachers because i found out sure. most of the teachers who were teaching me never actually worked before so i said yeah. okay I'm, if i'm going to do this i i do really respect and appreciate like the skills that i learned but i'm going to i have i had very little confidence in like the the business training that these people gave me. So I I basically started to ignore everybody and started to do tax returns because I felt tax returns were like a stable thing that everybody needed, right?
0: Yeah. Guar- guaranteed uh, at least um everyone at least once a year is, <laughs> has to has to either do it themselves or hire someone, so it makes sense.
1: So the tax return business started w- was was amazing. It was it was like annual reoccurring revenue, kept coming in. But then like um 2008 crash happens and I'm doing wonderful because everybody still just notwithstanding like uh, the complete collapse of like the financial system, people still needed to file their tax returns. And like, remember when you're getting chased by a lion, when two gazelles are getting chased by a lion, you don't have to be the fastest gazelle in the world. You just gotta be faster than the other person, right? right? So I, the firm that I was at, most of the other attorneys just went belly under. And when that happened, I started gobbling up the other practice areas, one of them being real estate, right? I had no idea what real estate was at the time, right? So, um, fortunately, I was able to land my first side hustle at that point in time, 2009. So, um, I, you know, with all my martial arts stuff, I was able to, you know, for, I was lucky enough to participate in a major tournament where wushu was a demo sport at the olympics i was able to win my gold medal i'm not an official olympian i never claimed to be but i was on the us team uh this caught the attention of warner brothers where in 2009 they purchased an intellectual property out of bankruptcy called mortal kombat 9 right and i was one of the guys that they came in to do the motion capture right first side hustle all of a sudden i started realizing you know the importance of making money like having control of that right so I'm kind of taking away uh, doing tax returns and all of a sudden the, the real estate market started to hockey stick, right? Yeah. And I happened to be like Forrest Gump with the shrimp boat captain. I wasn't so amazing, but I was just like one of the first guys who survived to participate yeah. in that market upswing, right? And I was never, my, my core competency was always tax law but I never really had, uh, but real estate happened just because I happened to be standing in the right place and it, it became a profit center. And uh, today I'm, um, I'm a board member of the Illinois Real Estate Lawyer Association. I, I think I've done about eight thousand transactions, something like that. And uh, it was kind of over time that I realized that, you know, value propositions, you know, they go from uh, they go through stages, like they go through a perceived, through actual, through evolving. You, they start with, like, you have to have a perceived value, like, what do you bring to the table? Then you have to deliver actual value. It's what you do. And then you have to evolve as things change, right? As the market started to recover, I started to realize that real estate is such an important uh, uh, percentage of, like, the American family's portfolio, right? And that's where I really started saying, okay, this real estate thing is very important because it's part of the overall, like, um, uh, part of everyone's life. that's where I really got into it.
0: Gotcha. And did you find that, uh, that real estate transactions were personally really fulfilling to you, um, like versus other types of law that you may have uh, dabbled in?
1: Well, what I, what I do like about real estate transactions is, um, I believe in becoming fabric of the community right? Like, and the way you truly become a fabric of community, is you got to shake the people's hands that you're, you're serving, right? And the best way to kind of build that trust is like helping them establish their nest, right? So real estate kind of became one of our like lead generators where, you know, we would meet people to do their closings, it would transfer into like trusts in the States. And then we kind of just became their go-to for everything.
0: Yeah, I imagine estate planning is like maybe the real estate transactions a nice entry point to then do the estate plan um after the fact. Does that happen a lot where a lot of your real oh, estate 100%. clients be
1: 100%. Like the thing is actually I know this is blasphemous, right? But from a from my perspective, um I, I uh, attorney CPA, I I think we ought to offer a little bit of a broader value proposition and right? I believe that real estate is a subsidiary of estate planning,
0: right? Sure, that makes
1: sense. I believe there's people who have this overall like estate plan and you do their closing kind of as part of that overall plan. I just don't know how you do a closing without knowing everybody's overall plan. We
0: we were, I was just having this exact conversation with a real estate journalist uh, yesterday actually, or, or yeah, yesterday, and we were talking about how this is the year that realtors can really start to think of themselves more as a consultant where they actually try to take a broader a broader view of the entire financial picture uh, and maybe that includes having conversations with the person's accountant, with their attorney, um, or with their financial advisor, and really saying, where does this home, if we're going to call this thing an asset, which is a debatable topic too, a primary residence, um, I know it's an asset on the day it's sold, but is it an asset really? In between times, I don't know. But it's still an important piece of the financial picture, regardless of whether it's an asset or mm-hmm. not, and it, it, you're right. It's sort of like one of those things that, you know, when I go see a doctor, they make me fill out this massive checklist of like, what's wrong with you, what's your history, what's everything going on with your physical health, energy, you know, exercise, diet, etc., and all the stats, um, and your his and your family history because they need to be able to make a, a good recommendation. And you're right, it, the sort of the real estate side of of the uh, of that someone's financial picture is often sort of isolated and segregated from everything else. And I imagine your, your sort of vision is to sort of integrate everything in, into looking at it all, more holistically. Do I have that right?
1: Yeah. Well, I, listen, like in the end, my my intent is the preservation of the American family. And the way you do that is by, you know, ultimately you need to make sure that they're safe, safety, and that they're secure, financially secure, right? And I don't, I believe, I do continue to believe that home ownership and real estate investing is an important part of a diversified portfolio.
0: I want to pause for a moment to talk about our episode sponsor, one of my favorite companies out there, Follow Up Boss. Now, after interviewing hundreds of top realtors in the country for this podcast, do you know which CRM is used by more than any other by our guests? Of course, it is Follow Up Boss. And let's face it, following up is the key to taking your business to the next level. Follow Up Boss will help you drive more leads in less time and with less effort. Do not take my word for it. Robert Slack, who runs the number one team in the U.S., uses Follow Up Boss, and he has built a $1.5 billion business in just six years. Follow Up Boss integrates with over 250 systems, so you can keep your current tools and lead sources. Also, the best part, they have seven-day-a-week support, so you'll get the help that you need when you need it. And get this, Follow Up Boss is so sure that you're going to love their CRM that for a limited time, they're offering Keeping It Real listeners a 30-day free trial, which is twice as much time as they give everyone else. And oh, yeah, no credit card required. So you can try it risk-free, but only if you use this special link. Visit followupboss.com forward slash real. That's followupboss.com forward slash real for your free 30-day trial. Follow up like a boss with Follow Up Boss. And now back to our episode. Yeah. And do you you look at primary residence... Dif- I mean, obviously, it's different from a revenue perspective or, or or a, okay. yeah, a revenue perspective, right? So so passive yeah. income, residual income through investments, obviously, yeah. we understand there's tax benefits. there's there's obviously cash flow benefits. Um, do you look, how do you encourage clients to think of their primary resident? Is it an investment? Is it an asset? Um, and, and this, these are very debatable topics but I think it's important because I I think there's uh there are a lot of Realtors that could really benefit from hearing some language from an attorney about how to how to have those conversations because personally I I would love to look at my primary residence as an investment if it goes up <laughs> but uh, I don't have much control over that that's not the reason I bought it as much as I would love for it to double in value probably won't but um but it is a huge chunk of you know, the money that I've had uh, put into that home. So curious on on how you think about primary homes versus obviously versus, you know, buying, you know, a multifamily and renting it out.
1: Okay. So attorney CPA perspective, uh, primary residence is absolutely an asset. I strongly disagree with the argument that it's a liability. I respect and understand where the other um, where the argument comes from. You know, the, the old school adage like your primary residence is just a liability um I just I think it's incorrect I I believe it's a it's an asset especially when you start looking at things generationally right yeah. like when you start looking at things generationally primary residents, um if if it's like incurring an unrealized gain to all the CPAs out there like we're sure. building up this store of value whereas if you're renting you're not building that store of value Good now point. It's always possible that you overextend. Um, I'm a big fan of Albert Einstein and I love his little equation, e, equal, e equals mc squared. So what E equals mc squared essentially means is energy equals mass times the speed of life squared. Right? The thing I love about that equation is it proves to us that energy and mass are equivalent because if you divide C, it's an algebra, right. you divide C squared by both sides, it shows that they can equal each other. They become yeah. each other, right? They are relative to each other as money is a relative thing. The money that you make is only relative to the money you spend. So if you overspend relative, then yes, it becomes a liability, right? uh, Like if you don't do that and you're like normal, like it's an asset, especially when you think of things generationally.
0: Well, thank you for for closing the door on that. Uh, that uh I love that that you you shut the door with some authority on that particular argument, whether primary residence and asset. And 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 you you explained it very, very well. And I think that's important. Um and and historically home prices over time generationally have uh historically risen, right? So we we can look at historical data and say, well, we can't, you know, obviously we can't. Um, project that your home is going to be worth more than it is today because that would be you know no one has the the oracle at delphi to or crystal ball but um but we can assume based on historical data that it's likely that if trends continue that you may be here in 20 30 40 years which in case does improve the the quality of that asset from a, you know from a numbers perspective um so i i am i will tell you this i am scared about 2023 Um, Now, there's always opportunity when there's fear. But I think there's, I'm I'm speaking not so much for me, because truthfully, I'm not a practicing agent, I have my license, I don't use it. I sit here at a desk all day and, and uh, try to recruit people to join our company. But um, we have about 700 agents here and they a lot of them are nervous. And a lot of my friends outside of our company who are agents are nervous about 2023. Why? Pretty obvious reasons, of course. Um, everyone knows we have higher interest rate environment than we did two years ago. Although I don't think it's that high, but it's certainly in comparison to the last few years, it's still a, a big, a bigger pill to swallow than it was. Uh, double rates, you know, it was kind of where we're at. Um, low inventory and then dropping home prices. So curious on where's the opportunity in 2023? What should realtors be focused on? And what, as an attorney, do you suggest that agents start to think about uh, to really keep their business rolling next year so that it's not as bumpy as as maybe the news uh, is suggesting it might be?
1: Well, it's going to be bumpy. It's definitely going to be bumpy. It's just finding the opportunity within that bumpiness, right? Like, Uh, from my perspective, all ships float in high tides, right? You have, when, when times are good, everybody is like amazing. Like one of the things that I, I tell people is I'm like an all-terrain vehicle. Like I work in rain, slate, snow, sunshine. So many of these single silo like attorneys, that's, that's all they do. Like they don't work when times get, when there's a, a right. hurricane, right? So from my perspective, you have to kind of, uh, approach your business like that. Like, are you prepared for the ups and the downs? We're, we're in a cyclical business. So if you want to survive in a cyclical business, you have to be able to work in both cycles, right? So from my perspective, it's identifying the um, like the the things that people are really going to need, right? Um, let's start with the supply side. There's a limited amount of inventory out there, right? Um, I believe as you see the baby boomer, the silver tsunami coming, you're going to see these guys, they're going to have to redeploy their assets, right? Their
0: Huge houses. amount of assets too. I mean, trillions of dollars are going to flood in. Yeah.
1: So 25 trillion is going to exchange hands, right? Now, Amazing. the homes are a special asset, right? Because like, they need to figure out a way to either downsize if they're going to, you know, pass away, go to long-term living. You know, kids are all gone, <laughs> and they're going to have to figure out what to do with it. Most of those homes don't have mortgages on them, right? So they're not worried about trading from three to seven or three to six or whatever. Incidentally, I have an on, I have an, uh, I have an ongoing uh, bet with a couple of people of the date. I think it's going to drop down to five. You know, off offline, I'll, I'll enter into a bet with you, right? That way, right? I'd love that. Anyway, um, what, uh, you know. Uh, you're, you're going to have a lot of the baby boomer population population that they have a bleeding neck and let me restate they don't have a bleeding neck they have six shotguns pointed to the back of their head that they're going to have to figure out what to do with that land right now you have, you're going to have a motivated seller who's going to have to figure out what to do with that supply right right um then let's talk about like purchasing right number one if the consumer doesn't come in and buy these assets, right? You're going to have foreign money flood in. You know, you're, there's so much turbulence, globalization. I just wrote an article for the State Bar. I'm shocked it got picked up so quickly. But it was like, it's about the collapse of globalization. I think you're going to see money start coming in here from other places. And, um, you know, l- listen, all, all the house hacking is really cool. But when you have a couple of kids, good luck doing that. You're going to have to buy your own house to raise your family, right? Your parents right. will let you raise your kids in their basement. Right. So the the supply side is going to be the baby boomers. The demand side is going to be foreign money and uh, millennials who are are being forced kind of to, you know, as their families expand. Right. Now, there is a segment of the population that their velocity is going to decrease dramatically. Right. And that percentage of the population, they're they're trapped in two, three percent interest rates and they don't want to trade up. Right. I get it. Right? Listen, the pie is going to get smaller and you really are going to have to demonstrate and show everybody what your value proposition is. From my perspective, this is really going to come down to who are real real estate people and who are marketers, right? There's a lot of people in sales that they're great salesmen, right? If you were to go back 20, 30 years into the real estate market before people, the sales thing, like the top of the funnel, you know, everybody became great marketers, right? Real estate was a pool business. What a pool business means is you get pulled into transaction. You have a special skill that gets you pulled in, right? You guys were never intended to be in a push business. It became a push business because your commissions were so lucrative that it pushed into marketing people, right? But this is going to force the vendors to become hyper-specialized in what they do. They really got to know what they're doing. And the consumer has gotten so goddamn smart, Right? that if you don't know what they're doing, you're doing, they're gonna know really quick. Right. Yeah. So you really got to get back down to that core of like, man, you know what you're doing.
0: Right. So so this is the year to really hone those or sharpen those sticks. Uh, those skill set sticks or tools in the arsenal to know more than you know the average consumer who once a month checks their Zestimate and to see what their home value is worth, which of course sure. they don't need you to do because they can just pull that up. Now whether that number is accurate or not is, is irrelevant, but that's what they're going to do. So you need to be able to bring value in between transactions, right? Sure. So. Person what buys and sells every what seven years or whatever the, st- the stat is. So here's a here's a great question. Um, or I'm sorry, I don't know if it's a great question. I should, <laughs> shouldn't say my own questions are great, but here's a question that I think would be of great value to our audience, which is, and and you're not you're not a practicing broker, but you work with realtors and you work with homeowners. Not a practicing. What, broker. Mm, I don't You know. do everything else. Uh, uh,
1: well, but I, the broker is very important to me. I um like listen you know, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna, it's very hard to break this shell, right? But uh, I, I will be vulnerable to tell you the importance of the broker, right? And I, I, I want my perspective. My sole agenda is the preservation of the American wealth ecosystem for a family, right? And most people have less than a thousand dollars in their bank account, like 80, like, I think it's like, 78 or 80%, something like that, have less than $1,000.
0: That is that is horribly depressing and unfortunately true.
1: So many people land. Do you, do you read all these articles? JP Morgan bought a billion dollars in land. You know, this REIT bought a billion dollars. Blackstone bought $50 billion. Sure. Do you know why they do that?
0: You know, I actually don't know why they do Because that. it's a good idea. <laughs> it works. Catholic right. church does a similar thing too. They buy up it's a lot of land. Stupid if you buy it,
1: I'll be a more aggressive. You're dancing and you were saying, Oh, like, you know, it might not go, it's going to go up. It's a store of value. Right.
0: I, I, I used to have a, I had a friend who was an attorney who's worked for the Catholic church and her job No joke in in the U.S. and I'm sure they have these positions all over the world. Was to buy land where they could put uh, schools, Catholic schools, Catholic education, which of course is its own business and a a huge business. But the big thing was not we want to we don't want to rent space. We want to buy the land, put the school on it, and uh, it's part. and, And this is this was her full time job, just finding land for schools.
1: So the reason why they do that is because it works. It's a really good idea, right? Um like especially American dirt. American dirt, American brick and mortar is amazing, right? Um like this morning, what are the important things that you've done? Can I ask you? What did you do when you first <laughs> I,
0: I went to the gym? I'd say that's for me. That's that's <laughs> probably the most
1: important thing I did. What did you do after you went to the gym?
0: Uh came back, started, um, started thinking about uh recruiting more realtors.
1: Did you take a shower?
0: I took a shower this morning, yes.
1: Okay. So what do you need to take a shower?
0: What do I, why did I take a shower? What do I need?
1: You need to take a shower. So
0: you need water and electricity. Uh, Well, you don't need uh, electricity, but I I used electricity. Yeah.
1: You need water, right? Mm -hmm. So we live in one of the biggest areas of fresh water. So before I was, you know, I, I worked at a law firm called Yulchan. It's like number three in all of Asia in Seoul, South Korea. Right. I thought it was a big shot. Right.
0: Anyway, I'm at this big,
1: big shot law firm. Right. And, um, I go to get my, place my little studio right and i find out how expensive it was i was like whoa that's how much it costs for this like studio that's crazy it turns out if you sold south korea you could buy france eight times that's how expensive the land is right amazing one of the cool interesting things about south korea we got a river that goes right through the seoul and stuff like that yeah. it's surrounded by ocean right and you can't drink ocean water or bathe in it right so all of a sudden water becomes scarcity so like for someone like me, I, I recognize like the relevant, uh, the relative importance of water, right? Where people here, you know, you take an hour long shower, and no one cares, right? But right. you go places in the world, like it, it becomes a really big deal. So I guess what I'm trying to say is like, we ultimately the land that you purchase needs to have a value, a reason why people like it, right? our soil is very uh, abundant in natural resources, which allows you to up an acorn in some groves, right? And we have water. So like, you know, so long as those resource, resources remain consistent, like in, in theory, as long as the value of commodity goes up, so will the value of the land relative to the value of the commodity, right? Sure. Really, <laughs> it's a good investment. That's why people come buy all this stuff.
0: Yeah. It makes, it makes perfect, uh, perfect sense. Um, so realtors right now are thinking, okay, I've got a lot of my clientele refinanced or purchased in the last couple of years when the interest rates were low and obviously a lot didn't, but the ones that did, you know, I, what do I, first of all, do we say anything to the person who's at a 3% rate right now? Um, who is feeling like, oh, I can't move because then if I move, I'm going to a six and a half percent rate. Um, what, what are, what are we saying to those? What do you suggest we say to those people, if anything at all right now?
1: So, um, do you, do you have your handy dandy computer there? I do. Can you look up JP Morgan Chase buys a billion dollar of single family homes?
0: Yeah. I'm looking it up right now. Um. Yeah. Here it's it. Got it. Yep. What, uh, what a single family rentals a billion dollars earlier this November. Yeah.
1: You want to know, what? What date is that?
0: So the the news article is November sixteenth.
1: Okay. Would you agree, November sixteenth? That's like a month ago, right? Like, yeah. do I mean, the rates were in the sixes and sevens. Yeah. Do you want to know why they're buying that? They're doing that.
0: I want to know why Jamie Dimon does anything. So yes, tell me. <laughs> because it's a really
1: good idea.
0: <laughs> Cuz he's a they, really smart guy. <laughs> because they saw the
1: interest rates go up and they eliminated all the competition. Yeah. Right, interest rates went up, they eliminated the competition, they go in and acquire uh do the acquisition. So like the first of all um I do think the mortgage interest rates are going to go down, right? let me open with that. Right. So with that said, um, uh, I, I do believe that it is probably not a smart idea to wait until they go down to buy it. because the second they go down, you're going to have this huge horde of competition come in yeah. and they're going to bid up the prices again,
0: which like, is what happened when in 3% rates, same exact things happened. Yeah
1: hundred percent. Like what you want to do is you want to try to go in there where there's mild to medium competition, exactly what JP Morgan Chase is doing to you, right? It's hilarious, right? Your own bank priced you out. And now that is my
0: own bank. That's funny. Uh.
1: Your own bank priced you out so they can buy your land. It's hilarious, right? Like, it. you know, you really got to be conscious of like, when that rate goes down, everybody's going to flood in. Now, You got to make that decision. But if I was a broker, if I was in your business, right, this is a dialogue that I would be having with my people. Hey, forget about the interest rate, put that to the side for a second. Tell me about your needs. Are you in a one bedroom condo with one kid and you're about to have a second kid? Right. Guess this ain't going to work, right? Let's go find you something that's within your budget that meets the needs of your family. Hey, are you? Is your parent sixty-five? How are they doing? Do you think that they're going to be in in a nursing home? Do they have long-term coverage? If they don't, like you need to have these things in mind for them,
0: right? Can we just do a public service announcement and break for just a moment? Can we talk about long-term care? Not, not get into the weeds about it, but I know you beat you've been beat you beat the drum on long-term care insurance, and I'm so grateful for you to do this because there are so many people. So everyone listening, if your parents are elderly, Can you just give the quick little 30 second on why everybody's parents need to have long-term care?
1: Okay. So most people don't have long-term care.
0: Which is insane.
1: But what long-term care means is if your parents are unable to function on their own and they have to go like they get dementia, they got to go to assisted living a nursing home or something like that, those places are really expensive. Right, so you need to have an insurance policy to cover the cost of that. Now, assuming that you don't have that, because most of you won't have it, right? The only way to afford that is let's say they get a pension of four thousand, right? And let's say you find them a nursing home that's six thousand. The nursing home will allow them to come in, take the four thousand a month, right? And the gap the Delta, they will normally get covered under Medicaid through Illinois. Now, Medicaid is provided by the state, but funded by the feds right now. The catch of getting that free um, Medicaid is if your parents own a house free and clear, which most baby boomers do, they paid it off, right? Um, The state can turn around and attach a lien against the, the equity with a five-year look back, they can go back five years to any money that they paid on your parents' behalf to live in there, right? So they can essentially lose the asset that they were, uh, that they built. So if anybody's out there thinking generational wealth, got to have that in the back of your head.
0: Yeah, just ask ask your parents if they have long-term care insurance. Talk to talk to a financial advisor, get that done because it well, I don't even remember what the average cost is for facility care these days, but I want to say for a year it's $30,000. Yeah, it's a lot. Wow. It's tens and tens of thousands of dollars. Okay, anyway, back to back to our our regularly scheduled program, but 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 this really ties in long-term care because you were talking about generational wealth and nothing wipes out generational wealth faster than uh than than managed care uh for elderly people. So uh, so I'm glad we were able to do our public service announcement of, of the year. Um, but let's talk about, okay. So, so back to, to being, being a realtor. So I'm, I'm, you know, thinking about our audience, we're, we're realtors. We're worried about 2023 interest rates are up, which means the average consumer thinks they're not getting a deal right now, right? They're not getting a deal. You said, don't wait for it to t- Don't try to time the market. Don't wait for the interest rates to come down. Why not?
1: Cause when they do come down what's going to happen is every single person who is waiting on the sidelines yeah. they're going to jump in all at the same time like if i was a realtor so here let's talk damage control if you're a realtor you got to right size your business right now if you know your if you believe that your top line revenue is going to decrease 20% you got to go line item by line item and you got to decrease your expenses 20% real simple. Okay. Right-size your company. If you're, if you're carrying too much fat right now, it's time to carve the fat out. Right. So that's step one, do that first. That's something you should be doing right now. Right. Yeah. Step two, once you've right-sized your company, I would turn my attention to, uh, just educating your client on like, like real, realistic. No, I would turn to listening to your client on what their needs are. If you know that they're going to have a need to like. You know, move, then step three, talk to them about the difference between the interest rate and like competition. Because once that competition comes flooding in, dude, I think it's going to be a big wave.
0: Right. People get priced out. Yeah, it's um, let's let's all remember what happened with the with the sub four percent rates uh, in the last couple of years. It, remember, you know, if we had listings, it was feast or famine, right? If you had listings, you were feasting, and if you were working with buyers, woo, it was tough. You were submitting offers sight unseen. You were getting you know thirty plus offers uh, in trying to get yours noticed, and it is. Remember how hard that was to sort of thread that perfect needle. Uh, You know, it was it was difficult back then. So I I think I think you're bringing up a good point. And maybe if if looking at the math, maybe the metrics are such that you would have overpaid two years ago, despite the fact that you were in a lower interest rate environment. And maybe now, even though higher interest rates, lower pricing, maybe it actually evens out more than the consumer might think. One hundred percent.
1: Yeah. If you get a if you get a lower. lower My father paid for his house, he paid 55,000 for his house, but it was like a 10% interest rate. So it's not a lot, right? So if you get a discount on the the retail price, oftentimes it ends up equaling out, right? But the one thing I will say to everybody is, let's be honest, guys, the last two years was probably the greatest rush of real estate velocity. And we'll probably never see that again, right? The rates are never gonna get that low. Um, you're never gonna see that again. Right. Right now, you got to turn your attention to right sizing your operations and providing that value to the consumer. And the consumer is hypercritical right now.
0: And like you said at the very beginning, they have access to everything. Now, sure. so you know, we all have access to everything. It's in our pockets. It's we walk around with, you know, this basically magical device that tells us anything we want to know at any time uh, for free, essentially. And so as an agent, um, it, so a couple of things I, I, I got from what you were saying. Number one, a lot of agents are going to be exiting the business who weren't true, full, all-in agents. The part-timers, the onesie twosies, they're going to start to slowly exit the business or just become less relevant. Um, so we're probably going to see some sort of exodus for agents, which is a great thing for agents that are looking to scale up and grow their business, because there is going to be less competition. A lot of the Maybe poorer quality agents will be leaving the industry. The uh, the 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 stronger agents, the the really savvy, um, value added agents will continue to thrive. Um, but in order to get there, you have to do the heavy lifting, which is what you were talking about: is sharpening the tools. This is the year, twenty twenty three, where you really want to be be better no more. What What do you recommend for agents to to study as far as like a daily practice? Um, and again, I know you're not a practicing agent per se, but what do you wish agents knew from, uh, 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 from an attorney's perspective? What do you wish agents were better at?
1: You know, I always believe in marketing, like um, how you consume, right? Like you should market to people the way you consume as a, like a consumer, right? If you know, I wasn't like as a consumer, right? Um uh, my family, when we first got here from Korea, we, we got heavily involved in real estate because we um we were in the restaurant business. We we sold we were number one in number one in the state in um used restaurant equipment. We had like 200,000 square feet of wow. like you know, restaurant stuff, right? So we would we needed to buy big locations to house the equipment, right? And one of the things that I think we found important from people is, like, you really have to know the assets that you're selling, you're helping someone buy, right? The thing, if you're in the condo business, right, dude, you really got to know that HOA before you get your environment up, right? If if you don't have, if you have no idea of the financial health of that HOA, like, if you're just hoping that the attorney catches it on the 22.1, like that's what you're doing. That's crazy to me. Like you really got to know these things. Here, I'll t- I'll give you an example from an attorney's perspective. In 16 years, I've probably done 8,000 transactions. Whenever I catch something on the 22.1, right? The 22.1 is a financial snapshot which shows capital, upcoming unexpected or expected capital expenditures. Whenever I catch something and I tell the buyer, this is what immediately happens. I press send on the email, Boom, send. Ba-da-ding. Hey, Don, thanks for catching that thing. Why in the hell did my realtor not tell me about that? Yeah. Right, 100 hundred out of 100, that's what happens, right? Like if you're gonna go into a building, you gotta know what's going on with the building, right? So that's if you're in the condo business. If you're in like the single family home business, um, you got to kind of have some sort of idea of the neighborhood you're putting people in right you gotta say like I know there's restrictions on what you can disclose right but you got to talk to your client and um, let them understand like hey this is you know wonderful school systems, communities, and this and that, and they got to know what's going on. Like whenever I, like for me personally, whenever I do like investing, I like when I invest in, let's take single family homes, for example. Uh, I believe that you have to control one of three things to be a real estate investor. You got to control the dirt, the tenant with money. One of those three, dirt, tenant money. So I like tenant control tenant control is the coolest to me. Right. So what I like to do is I like to buy single family homes in the best school districts. And I am the cheapest rent in the best school districts. That's my model. Right.
0: I love that because that's what every parent, uh, not every parent, but, but parents want to live in the school districts, not every parent in the best school district, not every parent can afford that. So you wanna make the affordable option for people to enter that that education space. Yeah.
1: 100%, 100%. I wanna be the most affordable in the best school district. That's my value proposition as an, that's the product that I offer, right? Now, like to me, like I really know what the product that I'm buying, right? (laughs) Like surgically, right? And it it can be like when you're a broker, um, the 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 client the customer sees that you're walking away with a big commission check, right? Yeah. And they see the inspector getting paid six hundred bucks. They get they see the attorney getting paid six seven hundred bucks, right? If like the inspection, I get it. If, you, if there's something that you couldn't have found, totally get it, right? But if they find out that there's an atomic bomb there, right? 999 times out of 1,000, they're mad at the broker. They call me and they're like, dude, what the hell happened? How come nobody knew about this, right? There's an upcoming, there's, of course, we got a great deal. There's a $70,000 special assessment coming up. (laughs) Sure. Right, you know what I mean? Yeah. Of course, we got a great deal. This is going to be a deconversion, right? Like, you know, stuff like that.
0: So so realizing that realtors are highly compensated uh, for you know the transaction and not taking that responsibility lightly and really providing over providing value, uh, yes. or providing more value than would be expected so that the consumer never, Calls the attorney who got paid the six or seven hundred dollars, and goes, "How come you caught this, and my my agent who just got ten grand didn't catch it?" Yeah.
1: Like, I actually think you know, given like your your role in in the transaction, top of the funnel, uh, defending value, I don't think you're unfairly compensated, right? But I, I don't think it's an unfair compensation. But it, you have to, like, if you don't know the product that you're selling, like, really know it. And the, the client finds out that you're highly compensated and you don't know what you're selling, they get mad.
0: Yeah, I I've I've had this fantasy uh in in, and I don't know if it probably will never come true, but I I want, I would love real estate to move away from tr- for realtors how, how they're compensated, to move away from transaction to work to more sort of a uh like a financial advisory model where it's you know assets under management, fee-based model, you know, you get a percentage. Oh, oh. I don't know if it'll ever happen. I don't know if it's possible, but boy, that would uh, that would really change the game. I think.
1: I, I don't know if the. I actually, you know, I, I respect the counter argument, but I actually think with the, I don't think they're unfairly compensated, right? I think what they do is legit, and here's why. Ultimately, their job is to defend the value. Yeah. Like that's ultimately their job, right? To defend value. And if you defend the value, it's worth it, right? You know, it's worth it. But if you don't defend the value, then it really becomes a problem, right? Right. And um, that's the thing you really are going to have to know. Like um, I recently, I I did a a wholesale deal where, you know, they flipped the contract and it was a big number, right? Huge number. The sellers got so angry at the listing.
0: Uh, They'd have to, of course.
1: They were like, How the hell did you get this number wrong? Right. And sorry about that. They were like, How the hell did you get this number wrong? Right. Your entire reason you're here is to value this, right? So like if you stand by that, like it makes sense because it's it, you're that is the most important thing. What's the value of the home? Right. Yeah. Uh, so I actually think the 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 number is fair, but the but you really have to know that you just can't be a guy or gal who switch careers. You, you're really good at marketing, has a great network, don't know the product, and sells it. That's what it's gonna get a little scary.
0: Yeah. So sharpen your tools, learn, learn the inventory, learn the market, learn what to look for, uh, you know, with, with respect to closings, especially condo, you were saying HOA stuff. Yeah, boy. Um, it, cause all of us, you know, consumers, when we're buying something, I I I, 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 as long as I've been in this industry, I've always thought, cause I'm not a practicing agent. I have always thought, doesn't everybody just want to know, is this a good idea? That's really kind of what we all want. Like, should I buy that? Should I not buy that? And I really think realtors say, I'll help you buy that. But I really, what I want a realtor to do is say, you should buy that or you shouldn't. And in order to make that distinction or or that recommendation, you really do have to have some pretty sharp tools in your, or sharp arrows in your quiver um but yeah, this is the year yeah. to develop that because if you can become the person that gives advice um and again depending on what state you live in you have to obviously you want to be compliant and make sure you're not running a foul of compliance uh rules but whatever is allowed i think the real value is in the advice um obviously pricing advice should i buy this should i sell this well how should i do it um i i i just i love having people giving me advice in my life, my service providers. That's really what I want for my accountant, my attorney, my financial advisor, my trainer. Uh, I want them telling me, you should do this.
1: hundred mm-hmm. percent. I think that's the direction everything's gonna go. And I think if you do that, market goes up, market goes down. You'll There will always be people who need help. And yeah. if they know that you can help them and whether it's an up or down market that you can help, you're gonna be fine.
0: Well, I could talk to Don all day to all all day and and we certainly would love to have him back on future episodes, but for now we're going to uh encourage every single person who is listening or watching right now. I want you to go to Amazon. I want you to check out his book The Tao of the Side Hustle. Donald uh, Hyun Kielbasa, I we are going to promote the heck out of it. I'm going to read it over the holiday break. By the time this is published, I will have already read it. Um, you are good friends with one of my other uh, podcast friends, Lawrence uh, Dunning. He's like, it's the greatest book ever. You got to read this. Um, and Donald was nice enough to to send me a copy. So I want everybody to go and to Amazon pick up this book and let's make 2023 as smooth as possible. We know there's going to be, uh, there's going to be a lot of dips and bumps, but let's do what we can and let's sharpen our skills. And uh, yeah, let's all have a great 2023. Um, So Donald, thank you on behalf of our audience for everyone listening and watching really appreciate Donald spending his time. He is an attorney. He bills by the hour. He is too busy to do this and yet he did it anyway. And so we really want to support him. So also, if you are a Chicago-based agent and you're looking to work with a, a, a real estate attorney, also who, by the way, is a champion athlete and a best-selling author and a CPA and really just a wonderful human being, you really should have Don in your in your arsenal of attorneys to recommend to clients. He would love to work with you. You can visit his website, Chicago com. Link to that in the show notes. Check out his his legal team. They can do everything from estate planning to real estate to a bunch of other specialties. As well. They're awesome. Um, but let's pick up the book, Tau of Side Hustle, the Tau of the Side Hustle on Amazon. Link in the show notes. On behalf of Donald and myself, to our audience, we want to say thank you. We exist to help you through this tough year. We know it's going to be a tough year. That's okay. Big deep breath in and out. We are going to provide you content and strategies and suggestions to help you get through this year. Please tell a friend. That's the only thing we ask. Support our sponsors check out Donald's book and tell a friend. Think of one other agent that could benefit from hearing this great interview with Donald and send this over to them. It might be just what they need to help their business in 2023. Donald, thank you so much for being on the show and we will see everybody on the next episode.
1: I appreciate you all. Go help people and I promise you everything will be fine.